0: Praise the Lord. Good morning. Isn't it awesome having uh, so many people around the church working and uh, just digging in and everybody pitching in. Can't tell you how many people have offered time, uh, money, resources, just uh, just a real good spirit of giving. And, uh, and I'm excited this morning. I, I just love um, uh, Kent and uh, Todd and their ministry. And so I've been spending a lot of time talking to them about it. And uh, how I many you know when we have a missionary that comes to our church, there's literally a door that opens that allows us to pour into another nation? And so this morning a door is going to be open to minister to orphans that if they weren't otherwise ministered to, wouldn't have the blessing that we're experiencing in this season. And um, so a door is open for Russia, and who would have ever thought, most of us come from humble beginnings... And who would ever think that we would have an opportunity to pour into Russia? In a couple months, we're going to pour into our missionary with Indonesia. And uh, my heart is that all year long, we have places that we can pour into. And uh, God would allow us to sow into areas all over the world. How many have that vision for your life? I want to just pour God's love all around the world in this area first and to the ends of the earth. I think that's what God wants. And so they're not just missionaries, um, they're our partners. We're partners in this enterprise to reach orphans in Russia, and that thrills me to death. And I love what these uh, two men stand for. Um, we've had a relationship um, and a partnership with this ministry for how long? It's been a long time. We can't even count the years. And and what's amazing, he's in his late 20s, and I know it's at least been 25 years. Yeah, so it's been a long time. So praise the Lord. It's my pleasure to uh, introduce Micaiah Ministries this morning. Uh, children are dismissed. I knew I'd forget something. Praise the Lord. Brother Kent, praise the Lord. I love you. you. Give hand.
1: Hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet and let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord... Once again, we just want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this house just to lift up your name. Father, we've enjoyed the worship and Lord, that last song that we're hanging on to you in the midst of the storm, whatever it is that people are going through today, Father, they hang on to you, then they are blessed and they see the right outcome in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we're trusting you in the midst of every conflict, in the midst of the turmoil that is around us in this world. Father, as we step out of ourselves and into you, we allow you to begin to think through our minds, see through our eyes, speak through our lips, and even touch through our hands. Father, we thank you that you're using us in this day and hour, and Father, that we're making a difference in the lives of hurting people everywhere. When I say we, Father, we're talking about the church, the body of Christ. We as your people, we as your hand outstretched. Father, we are making a difference. Whether the world realizes it or not, we are making a difference. So Father, I thank you for Wellspring. I thank you father God that they are a source of life in this community and the surrounding counties and father God we thank you for this opportunity that we have today in this place father we just thank you for the anointing that is in this ministry and father we're trusting that that anointing will be released to every here in the house and father for all that you're about to do we give you the glory the honor and the praise in the majesty of Jesus name and if you agree he's going to do something shout a big amen. amen turn and tell somebody you're in the right place today. I believe we are in the right place. You can go ahead and be seated. For those of you who don't know us, we are Micaiah Ministries. I love doing this. Uh, we've been traveling all over the United States, Canada, Mexico, Costa Rica, Russia, Norway, Burma, Malaysia, Jordan, Egypt, China, Japan, India, and I tell people every week, you can tell I practice that a time or two, and uh been doing it since 1981, so now we are 37 plus years old, and how long have we been partnering with Wellspring? Well, since the very inception of Wellspring, and uh, some of you folks even know us from up in Cornerstone, and so we've been with you a long, long time We've been around a while. Uh, As a matter of fact, I met a thirty-seven, you know, plus uh, year old person just the other day. uh, Actually born in the month of August, and I said, "Oh, so you look how old we are now?" I can see it. Glory to God! And uh, but we've been around a while, and uh, and so it's good. And we've been enjoying uh, the time that we get to spend with your pastor, getting to know him even more. You know, I I got a I got a message the other day, and. uh, I know that you, you mentioned it's the greatest time of the year, or however you said that, uh, b- but uh, I, I got this message, just the most wonderful time of the year, and, and uh, Ariel wrote, said, I can't wait to see you guys. It never feels like Christmas unless Todd and can't come to visit. Ah, uh, yeah. That's right. That's how we feel, too. Uh, when we come here, it, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I've been so... F- feeling warm and welcome this morning, appreciate the breakfast and just people coming by and, and saying such nice things and encouraging, uh, me and, and I will pass that encouragement on to T- brother Todd. He told me yesterday, you know, he regrets that, you know, that sometimes that we have to, split apart and one of us has to go north and the other has to go south because he would really like to be here and we talked about it that next year well is his year if we have to split apart then next year is his year for wellspring uh, but they wanted him up in vincennes this morning uh, i don't know what that says about me but they wanted him up in vincennes this morning and so you got stuck with me and uh, but i enjoy coming here enjoy being a part of everything you know the church is so healthy can i just say that uh there are so many things about Wellspring that is healthy. I, I had to just step back to the back a little bit and just I just felt like I wanted to just watch. I wanted to survey. I was participating, entering in, but at the same time, I just wanted to step back a little bit. And And can I just tell you that a number of places that we go, it's wonderful whenever I see the children come up front to worship. They get their little flags out and I have to step back cause they want to hit me with their flags and I want to take their flag and no, anyway. <laughs> and then, then I enjoy going to those places and, and it's like the young people and they come up and, and they're in the front and they're worshiping. In other places I see the ladies that they just pour their hearts out and they worship. But this morning, when all of a sudden I was surrounded by all of these men up front, it just exploded in me. This is a healthy environment. When men are leading the anthem of worship. Do you hear what I'm telling you? When the men are willing to step forward and to lead... As men are supposed to lead. Men were intended to lead. Now ladies, this is nothing against you. Thank God that you've been praying. Thank God that you've been an example. Thank God that you've been birthing things in through the years. But God set men in as the head of the home, the priest of their household. And men are to be setting the example for worshiping and loving an eternal God, and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever I was up here and all of a sudden I started feeling crowded by all the men, I said, this is so healthy. I like this healthy environment here at the church. And all of a sudden it just began to rise up on me that this church is ready for explosive growth. No, you didn't hear what I said. Now, that's up to you. If it happens or not, it's up to you. You want to stifle it? Go ahead. You want to allow it to happen? Go ahead. But there are so many things here, and I was visiting with your pastor last night, and we come from Tulsa, Oklahoma area where Pastor Billy Joe Doherty was our pastor for so many years and is now in heaven, just like your former pastor. And I think that they look down at the seed that they've planted and are pleased with results that they see. And Pastor Billy Joe just always has had a special place in me and experiencing that opportunity to sit under him and to enjoy uh, learning and seeing how a healthy church should be and the way that a healthy man of God thinks. And I've tried to take hold of that, and I've also tried to impart that to others. And last night visiting with your pastor, it was so much like sitting with Pastor Billy Joe and listening to things. And And I'm just saying that, that I really believe that This is, this is a healthy moment. Can I just tell you that? Now I'm not saying that other times weren't healthy. I'm just saying this is another healthy moment in your, in, in your church. And it's an opportunity to step up and to see some awesome things happen. And I'm excited for you. There's an excitement in me this morning. And I just had to get that out there before I actually start talking about us. You know, people want to hear updates about us. And so it sounds like me, 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 me. And I don't want it to sound like me, me, me. Because I see things here that are are good right here. And I'm excited about Wellspring. And, uh, and so uh, we have an expectation along with some of you. Uh, you want an update about what's going on over in Russia? Well, most of you know that, that we serve uh, over there, we are colluding with the Russians. Yes, hallelujah! And <laughs> if uh, if Mr. Mueller wants to go ahead and investigate, I'll be willing to go ahead and tell him anything that he wants to know. And. Uh, and and I thought the other day when and I understand and I'm not trying to get political this morning, but uh, you know I understand some things and and uh, when when Mr. Trump went ahead and canceled his meeting with Mr. Putin, I said there's an opening for me. I'll take that meeting with Mr. Putin uh, because there's some things I'd like to share with him and and uh, and talk to him about. But anyway, uh, 1.8 billion youth in crisis over in Russia, and 90% of young people that age out of the orphanages ending up on the streets, as I've told you before, drugs and imprisonment, prostitution, uh, 10% committing suicide uh, within the first year of aging out of the orphanages, and just had another privilege of being with orphanage teachers just uh, a few months back. They came to our house for our New Year's parties and in the month of January, and we're getting all wound up for those same type parties here in just a few weeks. And uh, one of the teachers that came, she looked at me and she called me her drug, which is friend. Now, if you're casual, you're a comrade. Sounds like old Soviet times, doesn't it? You know, comrade. But she called me her drug, and that's a special place when you get that title. You're my drug. she said. And she said, every year I come here to your party, she said, it's my day off. But she said, I sacrifice my day off because... I want to come to your house she said it's a healthy environment she said i walk in here and she said uh it's a place that's filled with love she said you can tell by all of the decorations that it's done with love and the gifts that you give she said you give uh she said other people give us gifts but she said your gifts are thoughtful uh, you think about what you give and it's it's done with love and she said the meals that are cooked They're prepared with love. She said, I enjoy being here because it's such an atmosphere of love. How many of you know if Jesus shines big in a place, that's how people will recognize it, an atmosphere filled with love and acceptance? And uh, and so uh, they said that they actually have fights at the orphanage because our house isn't big enough for everybody to come to our parties. And they I, I didn't know this the first time I heard it. They said they actually fight about who's going to get to come. And so some of them had to stay home, scolded, stay at the orphanage being scolded because of the fight that they were having about wanting to come. And so we sent them gifts anyway to let them know that we love them. And and I said to about one particular boy, I said, will you tell him after he ages out he needs to get his butt over here to this house and uh, and we'll set him straight. And the orphanage teacher looked at me and she said, we are sending him to you. And... <laughs> So they like the healthy environment there at the house, and uh, and so we have great relationships. You know, oftentimes people ask me, well, you know, why does he act the way that he acts? You ever heard anybody say that? You know, And actually, they're not usually asking because they want to know. They're usually asking because they're being critical. They're being judgmental. Why does she act that way? And what they're really saying is somebody shouldn't act that way. Well, you know, if you take a little bit of time with people and spend time with them like what we do at Restoration House and peel away the layers of their lives like the layers of an onion, maybe you'd find out why somebody acts the way they act. Uh, Yura came to our house last summer, and uh, we found that he was going off to his room quietly, and he would just sit in his room, and he would hold a pillow, and he would rock himself into that pillow. Why does he act that way? We thought. So we started investigating and we found out that Yura uh, was in the orphanage since he was two years old. And the reason he's at our house is because of one of our New Year's parties. He had come and been exposed to what we have to offer there at Restoration House. And so when he aged out of the orphanage and spent two weeks on the street, he thought of the big yellow house and said to himself, well, I can go there. They said, I could go there. And so he came to us. Well, while he was in the orphanage, he would be found going to his room and trying to strangle himself. Some of you read about this in one of our recent newsletters. And uh, the reason he was doing that was because whenever he was two years old, he had two uncles that would force a funnel down his throat and make him to drink alcohol so that they could just make fun of him watching him be drunk as a two-year-old child. And then they took his younger sibling, an infant child, and threw his little brother over the balcony, smashing his head into the pavement below. Now, why does he act the way that he acts? Well, because there's a wounded place in him. You know, there, there are a lot of us out here, and I hear things like this every week by people, because of the way that I talk about our kids Sure enough, every week, people will come up to me after a service is over, and they'll begin to expose their wounded places to me, how that they've suffered trauma in their life. I was at a Christian school a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Pastor's wife teaches the music at a Christian school and asked if I would come and speak at a chapel service to these kids. And and, uh, I said to myself, well, how far do I go because... You know, I don't want to traumatize anybody by telling them some of my stories, too. And yet, then I remembered one of the orphanage teachers telling me, tell the stories. The kids need to hear it so that they understand that they don't have to fall into the traps that some of us have fallen into. And so I was talking about Yura to these uh, students at the Christian school, and all of a sudden, one little boy's arm shot up in the air. And, of course, I'm talking, and so I didn't want to be interrupted. I just kept talking, and uh, and he just kept his hand up there. And so I quickly finished, and I looked at him, and I said, Now, you have a question. And he said, Well, no, not really. He said, I just wanted to tell you that I live with my grandmother because both my parents were also drunks, and uh, and so I've been separated from my family. And there was another boy in the class, his name is Marcus, and uh, he was the class clown. And uh, I thought, oh no, I mean, I don't, I don't even consider myself a children's minister anyway, so, you know, it's awkward for me to have to go in and talk to, to kids sometimes and young people. And now I've got the class clown to have to deal with. But God began to use the things that I was saying to get through to Marcus. And I found out afterwards that also Marcus lives with his grandmother because he also comes out of a dysfunctional family, drunken parents. As a matter of fact, six kids in this class of 30. Think about that right here in America. You know, it's often easy to think about doing something for those that are somewhere else and not realize what's happening right here in your own backyard. Even people here in this church, you know, whenever I start to talk about wounded places, I can see on the looks of people's faces. And oftentimes I wonder how many, how many would actually just reach over and touch somebody and And just let them know, hey, I care about you. I understand. I mean, I may not fully understand. I I may not have lived the life that you live, but listen, I'll be here. You know why people don't do that? And I know I sound like I'm rambling, but I'm really not. I'm getting to something. Why people don't do that is because other people's lives can be messy. See, if we ask the question, well, why does he act that way? why don't you take some time to find out why they act that way? I know why you don't, because it's messy. We don't want to get involved in the mess. We don't want the mess to get on us. We don't want to give up some of our time. We don't want to give up some of our finances that it takes to get involved in somebody else's mess. But you see, just like Yura. By the way, Marcus, the class clown, went home and told his grandmother, said, I think I'm called to be a missionary. I heard a man today. I think I'm called to be a missionary. The teacher wrote to me and told me that, and and I was excited, but at the same time I thought, well, we'll see how long that lasts. You know, she just wrote me a couple of weeks ago and said, Marcus still thinks he wants to be
2: a missionary. Hallelujah.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. How that you can touch somebody else's life and not even realize it, just if you care about their wounded places. See, when I found out that Yura was rocking himself in his pillow, I said, well, it's obvious that the boy's never been rocked. Now, hear what I'm saying, and I know this can sound a little bit like psychology and But how many of you know the Bible's full of psychology? I mean, he created us. He knows how he created us. He knows the psyche in us. So he's got some answers that will minister to us. and, And so here it is, you know, I said, God uh we've been to so many orphanages where where they'll ask us you know to come in and minister to these children and, and people get nervous because they say well i'm not a children's minister or they'll say i don't sing or i don't dance or uh, you know whatever it is they're they're nervous about i don't speak russian and the and the teachers will look at all of our our folks traveling with us and they'll say you don't have to know any of those things can you just hold a child Because these kids don't get held enough in the orphanages. And so they get stuck in a wounded place like Yura. And I said, God, I said, when I get there in December, if you'll just give me the opportunity, I said, I will take Yura into my arms and I will hold him and I will rock him, believing that you're going to move him out of his wounded place. Somebody said, but he's 18 years old. I know. Some of you are 30 years old. Some of you are 50 years old. Held a woman in my arms just the other day who's 94 years old. People stuck in wounded places. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Stuck in wounded places. I went over there and Yura met me at the door. He was one of the first ones to greet us. He remembered me from the summer and he ran up and he wrapped his arms around me and he hugged me deeply and I said, okay, here's my opportunity. Let's see how it goes. I stood there at the door and I held Yoder in my arms and, and I just rocked him. And he didn't let go. So I just held him and I rocked him. And I know people were looking at me thinking, that's a little weird. That's all right. Every time I'd meet him in the dining room or I'd meet him in the hallway, I'd reach out to him and he'd wrap his arms around me and we'd just stand there and rock. Finally, people started coming to me saying, you know, said, uh, I wish you could see the look on that boy's face while you rock him. He's smiling so big. And uh, Brother Todd told me, he said, you know, Yura, this is just a couple of weeks ago, he said, Yura is about to the place in his life now that he's ready to launch out. Um, I forgot to tell you to put those pictures on, Connie. Sorry about that. Just let them play behind me. And uh, you can see some of the things that are going on. Yura, Yura, uh now has his own apartment that we helped him to get. He's got a good job that we helped him to get. He's learned how to handle his finances, and he is equipping that apartment with appliances and all kinds of things. And and uh, and so we're excited to be able to report some wonderful things that are happening in, in some of these young people's life. One of the pictures you'll see coming up here, whenever you see, uh, there's Yoder right there. He's a good cook, too. I told him he could help me bake at Christmas uh, but uh, uh, you'll see some of the kids that ha- uh, these are kids that are in the home right now, others that have advanced out of the house that are coming up here in a few minutes. And, and one of the last pictures of kids that advanced out of our house is a boy named Genya. Uh, and if you read about him in the newsletter, by the way, those of you who aren't receiving the newsletters, if you'd like to, just give me your name and address, and we'll start getting you those newsletters. But Zhenya uh, came to us. His brother was the first resident at Restoration House. Parents, both drunk, stepfather abusive, couldn't get along. And so uh, he and his older brother left the house and uh, started living on the street uh, his brother being our first resident finally convinced his younger brother that he needed to come and be a part of us. And the younger brother thinking that he would die in prison or die on the streets. But instead Jesus got into his heart. And, uh, and he did an interview on a, uh, on a documentary that won an Emmy award. Uh, he did an interview telling them that, that he found Jesus at our house. And that it, it so changed him and his dream was always to have a wife and a big family. And, uh, and so here in just a couple of minutes, you're going to see Jenya, his wife and five kids. Hallelujah. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full and He's getting right up there with Pastor Chad. His quiver's getting full. Amen. And uh, and so these are the things. Why am I telling you all this? Because I want you to know that every year at this time of the year, there he is right there, every year at this time of the year, you folks are so generous to us to, to help us launch into our holiday season over there, giving these kids an opportunity to experience things that they've never been able to experience before. And we are so grateful that you're a part of it. Everything that we do. You're a part of it, and so we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I love to tell those kind of stories to you, so that you understand that what you're a part of, because you truly are making a difference. And we appreciate you so much. Open your Bibles, if you will, over the book of Nehemiah, and uh, and you can continue to look at those pictures while I talk to you out of the book of Nehemiah. It's a great book. If you've never had the opportunity to read Nehemiah, uh, you know I was at, at a church the other day, and and. Actually, you know, I, I said, uh, "How many of you've read, you, or I mean, know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego?" And I got this odd look from the congregation, and I realized, you know, some of these old Bible stories, these Old Testament stories, uh, they're not as commonly heard as it was when I was growing up. Uh, you know, people, uh, don't often hear about, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Abraham and Sarah, or, or Nehemiah. And, and Nehemiah is such a great, great story. Uh, it's the life of a man who served in the king's court and, uh, actually became a builder. Uh, found out, discovered his purpose was much greater than what he had ever thought that God wanted to use him in. And that's my message to you today is that God's got a plan for your life and it's probably bigger than what you realize. Do you hear me today? See, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for you individually. He's got a plan for your family corporately. But he's also got a plan for the body of Christ and you in this local body of believers. There's a purpose for this local body of believers. How many of you know that's right? But there's a purpose that you serve within the purpose. And so we can begin to discover some things through the life of Nehemiah. Let's read out of Nehemiah, and I'm reading uh, out of the uh, contemporary English translation in verse 1. He said, I'm Nehemiah, son of uh, Hakaliah, and in this book I tell you what I've done. During the month of Chislev, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, ruled Persia, I was in the fortress city of Susa when my brother, Hanani, came with some men from Judah. So I asked them about the Jews who had escaped from being captives in Babylonia. I also asked them about the city of Jerusalem. They told me those captives who come back are having all kinds of troubles. You might want to underline that because any time that you enter into the plan of God for your life, How many of you know the devil's not on the sideline being a cheerleader saying, Go girl, go girl, go girl. No. Instead, he's your opposition. He's going to cause you conflict and trouble. Don't think it's strange when you fall into troubles. My little granny used to tell me, she'd said, If you are running in the opposite direction of the enemy... If the devil is running in the opposite direction that you are, how many of you know every now and again you're going to bump heads, you're going to lock horns, she'd say. If you're never experiencing trouble, then maybe you're running in the same direction, she'd tell me. Nehemiah said they had all kinds of trouble. They're terribly disgraced. Jerusalem's walls are broken down and his gates have been burned. How many of you realize today that a lot of people get comfortable where they are? The walls were broken down. The walls were burned. Things were moving slowly. A lot of times we get comfortable. That's why things don't happen. We were laughing about the change with the televisions this morning because it took us a little bit of time getting things connected the way that they needed to be connected, and so we had a late start today. And all of a sudden, Connie's moved from here over to here. And I'm thinking, oh, how it is that we live change as long as it doesn't affect me. See, a lot of us, we get comfortable with the way things are. When I heard this, I sat down in verse 4 and I cried. Then for several days I mourned and I went without eating to show my sorrow and I prayed, Lord God of heaven, you are great and fearsome and you faithfully keep your promises to everyone who loves you and obeys your commands. I'm your servant, so please have mercy on me and answer the prayer that I make day and night for these people of Israel who serve you. I, my family, and the rest of your people, we've sinned by choosing to disobey you and the laws and teachings you gave to your servant Moses. Please remember your promise you made to Moses. You told him that if we were unfaithful, Faithful, you would scatter us among foreign nations. But you also said that no matter how far away we were, that's good news. No matter how far we stray, he said, no matter how far away we were, you we could turn to you and start obeying your laws, then you would bring us back to the place where you have chosen to be worshipped. Oh Lord, I'm praying. For your servants, those you rescued, for your great strength and mighty power, please answer my prayer and the prayer of your other servants who gladly honor your name. When I serve the king his wine today, make him pleased with me and have him ask me what to do. All right, we're going to stop there. We could keep on. But what I want to talk to you about today is understanding that God's got a plan. And his plan is for you to be involved in the plan. Uh, Wellspring has a bright future. I've already told you that. I believe that. Now it's up to us to make it happen. Uh, we can sit by and we can say, oh, well, God wants to do something in Wellspring. Well, he does. But that means he wants to use us to make it happen. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine over in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, told me a recent story. Uh, or recently told me a story that took place. He was involved, he's a pastor there, he was involved in a ministerial council and so he's going to these meetings every month and during these meetings they're talking about the homeless crisis in their community. And uh, while they're talking about this, nobody's doing anything about it. Now they talk a lot, but they do little. And there's a message in and of itself too if I was doing a leadership conference. Too little talk, not enough action. And so they're doing all this talk about the homeless. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know that we had a homeless crisis in our backyard, but every year that there's a lot of rain, it floods the riverbed and in the riverbed are caves where homeless people are dwelling. And so when the flood comes, it washes those people out of those caves and there are literally tens of or twenties of people that die every single year in our community being homeless living in those caves during the flood season. And so here it is, there's a lot of talk but nothing happening. And one day one of the ministers brings a homeless man. He'd just been out of prison for about three weeks and uh, and he smelled bad, was wearing the same clothes that he'd been wearing the last three weeks. Nobody would give him a place to stay. Nobody would give him a job opportunity. Nobody would uh, offer to do his laundry or give him a place to do laundry. He was hungry. And so he's there at this ministerial meeting. He's not even supposed to be there. This is a place for ministers. But he's there. And so my friend sits across the table from him while he's scarfing down the the breakfast at this ministerial meeting. And being the person that he is, that nobody wants to be around, but my friend has the opportunity to sit across the table from him and have conversation with him and begins to find out his plight. And then he begins to find out that he's not the only one in this condition, but that there are many others that are in the same condition. And so this gets all over, my friend, and he goes home and and he's being tormented with this idea of somebody has to do something about this. And so he's up all night long and he's telling God, somebody needs to do something about it. Somebody needs to do something about it. Sounds like people in church, they all the time come to the pastor and say, pastor, somebody needs to do something about this. And you know what the pastor's thinking? Same thing God said to my friend. You probably need to do something about it. And my friend said, well, what can I do about it? And, and and the Lord spoke to him and said, well, you can go to Walmart and you can buy bologna and bread. You can buy some bottles of water and you go down to the park and you can feed them. And so he bought bread and, and sandwich meat and started making sandwiches every day going down to the local park. And he's feeding 60 homeless people every single day down at the park. So other people start hearing about it and they decide, well, I want to get involved. And as they're getting involved, all of a sudden the newspaper gets involved and and they highlight this in the local newspaper. Now, there are more than 300 people that connect together and decide that they're going to do something about it. And so every day, now not every day are there all 300 of them getting together, but throughout the month, it's broken up. Over 300 people every single day are making sandwiches and going down to the local park and they're feeding the homeless in our area. Hallelujah. Well, it doesn't stop with that. All of a sudden, now the, the community hears about it and decides that they are going to give my friend the local jail. They give it to him for a dollar leasing for 99 years. He takes the local jail where the homeless were being tanked up because they were drunken and whatever, whatever. Now instead, there are showers that are built for the homeless in place of the jail cells. There are offices that are helping them to get housing and jobs in place of the jail cells. Now they've built a professional kitchen and now they're feeding hot meals Every single day for those who don't want to eat a cold sandwich at the park.
2: Hallelujah.
1: It doesn't stop with that. Now, how many of you realize whenever you step out and you do something, you're going to have trouble? I've already talked to you about that. Well, the fire chief gets upset because this old jail is right across the street from the fire station. And the fire chief, he doesn't like that all these homeless people are hanging around. And so he's trying to shut them down. Well, he's finding out that he's probably going to lose his job over it. Because what's happening is somebody else in the community saw that there was a dilapidated, condemned nursing home across from the jail and across from the firehouse. And so instead of allowing it to totally dilapidate and be torn down, They bought it for $25,000 and gave it to my friend so that he could build housing for the homeless. Now the police chief's really mad. A third of that is for women who get out of prison, who have children but no place to live and regain custody of their children. Another third of it is for both men and women for overnight housing in crisis moments. And the other third of it is doctor care and all kinds of social care opportunities and a gathering center for the homeless in crisis. What's happening is people from other counties are hearing about what my friend is doing there in Cherokee County and they are, there's an influx and this is why the police uh, the fire chief is mad because there's an influx of homeless people that are coming to our community because somebody cares. How do you build a church? See I really don't think that we should necessarily be focusing on numbers and what are the results that we can have How about focusing on what my friend did and that is producing fruit? Stepping out to do what God's called us to do and don't give up and quit. So I want to help you just a few minutes today on on when you step into something, don't give up, don't quit. How do you step into something and not quit? Number one, I found this out by watching the story of Nehemiah, by looking at his life. Number one, you've got to know your purpose. Everybody say, know your purpose. I meet people all the time. I mean, I was in a nursing care center uh, th- actually the last 2 weeks I've been to two different nursing care centers and had the opportunity to minister. And you know, there are people that are sitting there that they don't even know their purpose. They were so excited whenever I started talking to them because all of a sudden some of them began to discover they still have purpose. I mean, here it is. They're in their nineties. Uh, one of them is 104, I think somebody told me. And and you know, they're like, "Why am I still here? Why doesn't God just kill me? Why doesn't He just take me?" I, you know, I mean, I'm 104 years old. Well, because you got purpose, and you have to tap into your purpose and discover your purpose, and don't sit there with an attitude of giving up and quitting. Every one of us have purpose. Uh, You don't need to go through all your life not understanding your purpose. James tells us, any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So if you don't know what you're called to do, why don't you ask of God? He said he'll tell you what to do. He won't call you stupid for asking. So it's time to step up and ask, God, what is my purpose? Now, maybe you're going to be like me. Maybe you won't know your whole purpose all at one time. Maybe he's not going to show you the big picture all at once. But you can step into it step by step, by step. He said the footsteps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. And so every morning you get up and you say, God, I want to fulfill my purpose. What is my purpose today? And you follow the leading of Holy Spirit and begin to step into your purpose. Understanding that I have purpose keeps me from giving up. I had dinner with a a 80-some-year-old preacher a few months back, and he looked at me, Straight in the face, he said, don't ever stop telling your story. And I thought, well, you know, uh, that was a word for me because I thought, I've told my story so many times, people are probably tired of hearing my story. But how many of you know it's my story? And nobody knows my story like I know my story. And it's my story. And he said, don't stop telling it. So I'm going to tell it to you this morning. Hallelujah. Whenever I was uh, four years old, I started singing in the church. People ask me all the time, when did you get saved? Well, I can tell you that I, I I made that verbal commitment when I was eight years old. But I have to tell you that I don't remember a day that I didn't love Jesus. I've always loved Jesus. Started singing in the church when I was four years old, and here it was, my little granny, my greatest cheerleader, got me into the children's choir. And so when I was in that children's choir and she was leading it, my cousins and others would say, Granny, tell Kent to be quiet. He sings too loud. And my granny would say... No, the rest of you just need to sing louder.
2: Hallelujah.
1: Thank God for good grannies, cheerleaders in our lives. And then when I was eight years old, I'm in a backyard Bible study and and they're telling me that I need to make a verbal commitment and and I knew that was right. And so at that moment, I made the verbal commitment. I said, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I will serve you the rest of my days. And and then when I was 14 years old, I got introduced to a Pentecostal church. Now, I, I didn't know anything about a Pentecostal church. I'd been reading in my Bible about tongues and I'd heard the Baptist preacher at the community Bible church that I attended tell everybody that if anybody speaks in tongues in his church, he'll tell them to sit down and shut up or get out. And I thought, well, that's not right. I mean, at that time, I thought, I may only be 12, but I'm not stupid. Come on now. That's not right. And so I get introduced in this little Pentecostal church, and my stepfather, he, he just loved me dearly and was so proud of me. And it was back in the days whenever I really didn't know how to play the piano. I still don't really know how to play the piano, but I really didn't know how to play the piano back then. And he asked the pastor, he said, can my son play the piano for you? And so I get up in that little Pentecostal church, and, and I'm playing that old familiar song, Fill My Cup, Lord. Anybody remember that song?
2: Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting. Of my soul. You know what?
1: Every time I tell that story, I get emotional. Because I go back to that night. I'm sitting at that piano and I'm crying out, fill my cup, Lord. And all of a sudden, these Pentecostal women, they start dancing around the church. Now, it wasn't one of those knee-slapping, hand- clapping kind of songs, you know, that gets you excited. It's just that simple, fill my cup, Lord. And they start dancing around that church. Those women without their makeup and their long skirts and their long hair and, and and the buns on the top of their heads, you know, and and all of a sudden they start. Woo!
2: <laughs> <laughs> that woke somebody up. <laughs> woke me up too.
1: I'll tell you what. I'm sitting at that piano and I'm singing and that la- lady let out that war whoop and and I about jumped out of my skin. <laughs> And I started to cry. <laughs> she let out another one and I'm crying even more. And the pastor comes up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder and says, you want what these folks have got, don't you? I'm thinking, I don't know about that. <laughs> he took me by the arm and, and brought me away from that piano and, and brought me down front. And, and he turns around to get that anointing oil. And while he's turned around, he, he looks at me and he says, now lift your hands and praise the Lord. And I looked at him, and I said, I don't know how, and I'm crying. Because I was raised by a Mennonite preacher. I didn't know anything about lifting your hands and praising the Lord. I knew my little granny stood out in our church. She'd sit on the front row or the second row, and she'd be the only one who would lift her hand and say, Amen. She came from a shouting Methodist church. And so that's what they did there. But I didn't know anything about it. He said, well, he said, just lift your hands and tell Jesus you love. So I started lifting my hands, and I started to say, Jesus, I love you so much. You know how much I love you. And all of a sudden, I had an out-of-the-body experience. Now, this is my story, okay? It's not everybody else's story. This is my story. And you can believe it if you want to, and you don't have to if you don't. But when you die and get to heaven, you'll find out I was right. That was my story. <laughs> it's not Brother Todd's story. Well, you know, people ask Brother Todd. I said, well, well how, did you, how did you know you were called into ministry? And uh, he said, well, you know, he said, I was walking down the road one day. Now, a lot of people don't know this about Brother Todd, but Brother Todd used to be Mormon. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't let him fool you. See, some of you think, thinking, oh, yeah, he looks it. Yeah. People come up and say, oh, you know, I, yeah, you're, you're one of those wholesome boys. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Don't let him fool you. He wasn't even a good Mormon. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, when you see him, you tell him I told his story, Okay. <laughs> He was in and out of jail on drugs, drinking, and carrying on. He'd walk into a room there'd be thirty two women. He told me he said I'd be in love with all thirty two of them. I mean he was one kind of mess. And and here it was uh, he, he started coming to a Bible study at my house and and the pastor upset him one night talking about Mormons and and he went out in the back porch and and uh, was sulking and and the pastor came out to him and said uh, why don't you get born again? And he said well he said I, I've tried everything else I might as well try that. And, uh, and so he prayed to ask Jesus into his heart, and he came and got in my car and he slammed the car door shut and he looked at me and he said, Well, I hope you're happy. <laughs> I thought, About what? He said, Well, I got saved. I thought, You did not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, I've seen people get happy, I've seen people cry, but I've never seen anybody get mad about getting born again. <laughs> And, uh, and then he said to me, he said, take me up to, uh, take me up to Shola, will you? And drop me off at this bar. Because see, back in those days, I was trying to woo him into the kingdom. And so I'd let him use me like a taxi service. And, uh, and so here it was. He, he said, drop me off at this bar. And, and so I dropped him off. And he said, but wait, he said, I'll be back. And then all of a sudden, uh, a few minutes later, he comes back and take me to this other one and then another one. And we went all these places till finally I got fed up with it. I'm tired. I want to go home. And uh, and uh, I get out of my car, and I follow him into the bar. I've not been in the bar, but I follow him into the bar. And he, he I look at him, and he's on this side of the bar, and he says the bartender, said, I was headed to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. He said, uh, you're headed to hell, but you can go to heaven too. You know, I knew he got born again that day. And uh, we, we went to a house where there's full of a bunch of hoodlums, and in that house full of hoodlums, uh, there, I mean, it's two o'clock in the morning and they got pot and drugs and alcohol and beer and they're sitting around there and he looks at about 20 of these guys and, and they're all staring at me cause I'm this clean cl- cut, you know, I don't fit. <laughs> and he looked at them and said, you're all going to hell, aren't they, Kent? <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> going to kill us (laughs) but you know i knew he got born again and when he was asked the question how'd you know you were called into ministry he said i was walking down the road one day and he said i knew that if this was so good for me everybody needs to hear it and i've been telling people ever since hallelujah he discovered purpose at that moment now that's not my story. My story is that I'm taken into the presence of God and God begins to speak to me. I mean, I see God sitting on his throne and and and, and I see him from his waist down and, and yet I have another view. I'm up in a balcony and I'm looking down and I'm kneeling on the floor down there and I can see myself. And God begins to talk to me. The way that you hear my voice right now, I'm hearing God's voice. And he's talking to me about the call that he's placed on my life. That he's going to take me around the world that he's going to use me to minister to people and have me stand before leaders and and, I mean all this awesomeness and and, and then all of a sudden I come back to myself and, and the pastor's wife kneeled over me and she's beat me on the chest and she's saying that's it that's it that's it and I'm thinking what's it and then I opened my mouth and I had a new language now that's not the way it happens with everybody Everything's not always so dramatic. I don't know why God made the dramatic with me. I guess maybe because I'm dramatic. He made the simple with Brother Todd. Maybe it's because Brother Todd doesn't need the dramatic to believe. But it was something that God did in me at that moment. And the pastor's wife, she began to prophesy over me. And she began to say to me the very same things that God was saying to me in his throne room. Now, again, this is what though she, she concluded with. She said, he's not going to show you the whole picture because if he did, you'd either run puffed up with pride and he wouldn't be able to use you or you'd run in fear because of what he's called you to. But either way, he's not going to tell you it all right now. Well, back in 1994, when God called us over to Russia, if you'd have asked me, Years earlier, I didn't know I was going to Russia, but God opened the door, and there we went. If you'd asked me back in 1994 about Restoration House, I didn't know about the youth in crisis. But when it was exposed to me in 2001, I knew that it was something that God had called me to. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? See, I want to encourage you today. You don't give up because you know that you have purpose. You don't quit because you know that you have purpose. And it's time for us to step into our destiny realizing our purpose. Nehemiah stepped into his destiny beyond being the one who serves in the king's court. Instead, becoming the one who would begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Number two thing that I want to talk to you about is commitment. Have you noticed that today it seems like there's so much lack of commitment? I mean, really, uh, marriages are falling apart. Families are falling apart. Uh, people aren't even committed to the same job. I couldn't believe this. I just Googled it this week and discovered the average length for the normal person to be at a job these days is four years, six months. Four and a half years. I mean, I had relatives who were were at the same job 35 years, 40 years. Walked away with a watch that was engraved that was thanking them for being at a job for 40 plus years. My little granny, she had a lapel pin that was given to her to honor her and I still have it. It was given to her to honor her for her commitment to teach Sunday school at her local church for 35 years without ever missing a Sunday, not even for sickness. Think about that. That's commitment. And she served even beyond that 35-year mark. Where are the people today who are committed? See, it seems today that people have to be coerced into doing something. Uh, it just boggles my mind. In the church, you know, getting people to serve in children's church. Now, I know I'm not talking about this church because your pastor was already telling me about some awesome things that are happening here and how that people are stepping up to the plate and, and making a difference and, and people are wanting to get involved. And, you know, here it is yesterday, 11 guys here at the church and, and 10 of them actively involved in doing something while the other one just... Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't supposed to say that. But anyway. Actually, he was useful. You you didn't didn't realize that he was useful. He was the sideline encourager. Yes. All right. I mean, he was telling them, go for it. All right. And and, But a lot of times we don't see that where there's a commitment. It seems like people have to be coerced into doing something. I was only about 8 or 10 years old. And in the church and listening to a missionary... And this is the story that he told. And while he was telling the story, I knew that it was wrong. He got up there and he started to tell people how that he was called to be a missionary, but how that he ran from the missions call. And so in running for the missions call, in order for him to fulfill what God had called him to, God killed his firstborn child. Now, of course, I thought, that's not the way God does things. God is a good God. How many of you know that's right? And he's not going to kill your child just because you don't want to do what he's asked you to do. So here it is. He says God killed his firstborn child. And then he goes on and he said, and he still didn't respond to the call of God. So God killed his second child. And he still didn't respond. And so God killed his wife before now he finally answered the call to missions. Well, of course, my thought was, you know, you are not that important. God is not going to kill everybody else in your family just to get you to do something. And furthermore, why do you feel like you have to be coerced into doing something? It reminds me of the story of a a, a man who always wanted a parrot. Some of you probably heard this story before. A man who always wanted a talking parrot and here it is, he couldn't afford the talking parrot and so one day he's driving past the pet store and and he sees a sign on the pet store window that says that there's a talking parrot for sale and the, the price is, is greatly reduced and and so he decides, that's my parrot and he goes in and he talks to the pet store owner and says, I want that parrot and and the pet store owner says to him well, uh, you have to understand why he's so greatly reduced in price is because he never says anything good he cusses all the time, all he talks is bad talk. And so the the pet owner said, well, I can change him. Sounds like a lot of girls that I meet. They're all the time trying to convince their parents that that boy that she's bringing home, that she can change him. Well, how'd that work for you? Let me just ask you, but I move on. And so here it is. He takes the parrot and, and the parrot gets in the car and he starts to cuss. And so the the new owner he's starting to reason with the parrot. Now, now we don't talk that kind of language in our house. Uh, we we're Christians, and so we only say Jesus things. Like, can't you say Jesus loves me? And the parrot cussed at him and he said, no, 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 say Jesus loves me and the parrot cussed at him louder and he said, no, no, we don't talk that way say Jesus loves me and with every time that he would tell the parrot he would get a little more forceful in his tone he would get a little more aggressive no, say Jesus loves me and finally he grabbed the parrot that was cussing and he shook the parrot and the parrot began to squawk and to kick and to scream and to cuss even more and the pet owner he gets frustrated, pulls into his driveway screeches his wheel as he pulls jumps out of the car, runs up and through the door, and he throws the parrot into the cupboard, and he slams the cupboard door shut. And the parrot is squawking, kicking, cussing, and screaming even the louder. And so the new owner grabs the parrot out of the cupboard and throws him into the freezer and slams the freezer door shut, walks into the living room as the parrot is cussing, kicking, and screaming. And then finally it's silence. Now the pet owner gets nervous and thinks, well, I didn't mean to kill the poor thing. And so he runs back into the kitchen, opens the freezer door, and that parrot jumps out of the freezer ever so gently onto his shoulder and starts rubbing his beak against his cheek and so sweetly saying, I love you. And I promise I will never cuss again. Jesus loves you. And he started speaking ever so gently. He said, finally, all I want to know is, what that poor chicken do? (laughs) Some of you get that in a minute. You know, that frozen chicken in the freezer? Coercion. Why does it take us to be coerced? Manipulated. Feeling guilty before we'll step up to the plate and do what we've been asked to do. Third point that I want to make to you. And I saw this as well in Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah didn't have to be coerced into it. Nehemiah willingly, even in spite of the possibilities. You see, if you read chapter 2, you understand that, that as a servant in the king's court, he's always supposed to be happy never supposed to have a sad look on his face, could actually be hung because he was not looking well. And the king knew something was wrong, but instead he found favor. He knew what his possibilities could be, but he stepped forward to serve his purpose, which was beyond serving in the king's court. And then thirdly, not only was he committed, but he was not distracted. You remember uh, Sam Ballant and Tobiah? In chapter three and four, Sambal and Tobiah came, and they're all saying all kinds of negative things. As a matter of fact, uh, they've put up an army around the the Israelites that are rebuilding the wall. And Nehemiah says to the people that are rebuilding, uh, "Keep the Bible in one hand and a gun in the other." Well, I mean, it sounds like he was Republican. That's just the modern language. <laughs> uh, keep a keep a trial in the one hand. Keep building. And be armed, because there's danger all around us. Okay, well, don't be distracted, just keep building. So because of all of this that was going on, then uh, uh, Sambal and Tobiah come to Nehemiah, and they say things like, you know what, we understand we can't defeat, defeat you with our armies, uh, nothing that we've tried is working, and so why don't you come down from your building, and let's go meet over in the valley of Ono. And we will have a political summit. In essence, is what they said. We'll try to work together. We gotta, we gotta learn how that we can work together uh, to make this happen. And uh, and Nehemiah looked at him and said, "I'm not coming down off the wall. I'm not going to be distracted to come over and have this meeting with you." A lot of people today they're easily distracted. I heard the story of one man who uh, actually was a pastor of about 200 people. And, uh, had children and wonderful family and, and, uh, but he got distracted from his calling. He got distracted from his purpose because he heard about a, a particular gold mine that had never been, uh, you know, discovered. I mean, it'd been discovered, but, but, but nobody had ever mined the gold and it's a, this lost mine. And so now he dies in search of this gold. And so his legacy is forever being the second man who died in search of this treasure. Well, how many of you know I want a different legacy than that? I choose not to be distracted from what God has called me to. The purpose that God has intended. A lot of times people will even get distracted by some very good things. Uh, You know, they think, well, I'm going to move off into another state because I have a better job opportunity. Well, just because it's a better job opportunity on the surface doesn't mean it's a better opportunity for you spiritually and the things that God has called you to. I want to help somebody today. We were over in Arizona And there was a particular family that was attending a church and the dad had a job opportunity and they'd been hearing about God's provision. And how many of you know it's a wonderful message when we hear about God's provision? God wants us to be provided for. If you sow, you are going to reap. But how many of you know some of those messages, they can get way off in left field. They can get out of whack. They can get distorted. And so we can even look at a biblical principle and we can be distracted by the way that we want to interpret that biblical principle. And so here it is, he's been sowing and he's been believing for better job and better opportunities, and so he gets this job opportunity in another state, and whenever he tells us about it, i got to check in my spirit. I'm thinking, this isn't right. He's not supposed to leave this local area. He's not supposed to leave this church. God's got a plan for he and his family right here. And so I went to the pastor and I expressed it while I was expressing it. Brother Todd said, you know, he said, I had that same feeling in me. And the pastor said to us, well, he said, you know, he said, I've, I've had that same feeling. And he said, so I called them in for a meeting into my office on Monday. He said, would you gentlemen join me in my office on Monday and let's sit down with this family and let's talk to them together and maybe they'll understand where I'm coming from. And so we went into the office. You know, they were so stubborn. They just actually believed that they were going to have this great opportunity off in another state and they were going to take hold of it. They were distracted from knowing their purpose and they went off into this other community. And when they did, the marriage began to fall apart. the son got on drugs the daughter got involved in, in uh, improper relationships and all of a sudden the whole family's falling apart but you know what this is what happened the man had enough sense to realize he had missed god and the only way to get things right is to step back where you knew it was right yeah see a lot of us when we're distracted We're walking down this path. We know this is what God is telling us to do. But then all of a sudden we get off course. We get distracted by something. But most of us are so thick-headed that we won't admit we're off course. And we choose not to come back where we knew it was right. Hallelujah. Personal example of that is whenever Brother Todd and I left out of Tahlequah, Oklahoma, we had only committed to be there for nine months. We were going to serve there for nine months. We had already gone through the Bible school for uh, the year prior to that, but we would committed to a local church the following year. And so here it is. We're going back out to our home base, which was out in Arizona. And we left. The church had a great big old farewell party for us. I mean, it was a blowout of a farewell party. And so everybody's told us our goodbyes, lots of crying, lots of sentiment. And so we start down the highway. And there was a man who had said to us, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, take a step and trust God. But when you take the step, if it doesn't produce peace, always be willing to take a step back where you knew it was right Don't be thick-headed and get so far off course, God can't use you. We started down Interstate 40, and the further that we got away from Oklahoma, the less peace that we had. Now, we're talking the whole time about how we're going back to the home church there in Arizona, how that we're going back to the home base, and we're talking about how the things are going to launch from that home base. I mean, we've got an idea. We're, we're pursuing this whole thing. And the further we get into New Mexico, the less peace that we have. And the further we get into the state of Arizona, we know it's not right. And by the time that we got to our home base, we picked up the telephone, we called the former church... And we said, we're wrong. This is not home any longer. This is not where we're supposed to be. So if it's all right with you, we're coming home. We fulfilled our three-month commitment in Arizona, and we went back to Oklahoma where we knew it was right, and we've been based out of Oklahoma ever since. And God has launched this ministry far beyond our wildest expectations, dreams, and imaginations. Why? Because we were willing to admit we got distracted. Let's get back on course. See, a lot of people, they're distracted because they say, well, I don't have the education to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Or I'm distracted because I don't have the finances to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Or I'm distracted because people won't get behind me. People are always negative about me. Every time that I talk about wanting to do something, nobody supports me in it. And so people allow themselves to get distracted. Pastor Sharon Doherty wrote a
2: song, said, Don't come down off the wall, you are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. Isn't that good? Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you, trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. There's
1: so many voices out there that are
2: pulling us. Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word, though the enemy rage and mock. You trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. Oh, I'm too old. Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. Well, my wife, she's always against me. Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. Well, I'm divorced. Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and my... You know you want to sing. Trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. Stand your feet. Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you, trying to make you compromise. Don't come down, for you will finish and your faith will become... Oh, well, you don't know all the bad things in my life. Well, don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you trying to make you compromise. Don't come down for you will finish and your faith will become sight. You know,
1: uh, there are a lot of people who say, well, I just feel burned out. I meet people all, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Somebody got it. You know, here it was. Sanballat and Tobiah, they mocked because Nehemiah was using burnt stones. What, you going to build with those burnt things? Uh, yeah. And so everyone who's ever felt burned out, don't come down off the wall. See, because God's still using burnt stones today. Hallelujah. Oh, well, I got burnt at the last church, so I'm not getting involved here. I mean, I I just vowed I will never get involved in anything again because those people at that last place, they just burnt me so bad. Well, you're in a great place. Hallelujah. God wants to use you, you burnt stone. And you know what the neat thing is? Is in Nehemiah chapter 4 and down in verse 20, he says... Our God will help us to fight. See, whenever God calls you to a purpose, he doesn't call you and say, get out there, you do it now. No, God says, I've called you. Now, together, we're going to make it happen. Together, we're going to make the difference. I remember whenever God called us to build Restoration House, and you've heard me tell the story before, how that here it was, we were in a car accident, totaled the van, totaled the trailer. We got behind more about $94,000 because that was what it would take to recover. We committed to $100,000 to build. We needed $88,000 to go ahead and continue to do what we were already doing. So now we're up to almost $300,000 and the ministry never even came within a third of that financial. I mean, never in the history of our ministry did we ever draw even a third of that amount of money. And one day I'm sitting at my desk and I said, oh God, How am I going to go back to all these people and and, that have helped us to recover and raise $100,000? And God spoke to me and said, well, you can if you want to, but it'll take you a long time and it'll be difficult. (laughs) I mean, here it is. We just had a, 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 a wreck. Broken my shoulder. Told I'd never have a range of motion any higher than this. I'd have to have multiple surgery. I never had any surgery. Hallelujah. Why? Because I'm not coming down off the wall. Come on now. I'm not allowing myself to be distracted. I'm remaining committed. Oh, it was tough. Let me tell you. I sat there in that wrecked trailer at the doorway crying my heart out. I remember being pulled out of that vehicle and even saying, God, all these people that say they're praying for us, what happened? God said to me, well, just imagine what it would have been like if they hadn't have been praying for you.
2: (laughs) Don't come down off the wall. You are building for the Lord. Don't come down from praying and standing on God's word. Though the enemy rage and mock you, trying to make you compromise. Don't come down, for you will finish, and your faith will be on sight. Would you bow your heads all over the building? God is working
1: together with us. God is fighting with us. You do not launch us out on our own. Holy Spirit, you are with us, guiding us, giving us wisdom, empowering us to be all that you'd have us to be. While your heads are bowed, is there anybody here that's felt like giving up? Would you just put up your hand right now? I'm going to pray for you right where you're standing. You just felt like giving up. I see it. 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 Anybody else, very quickly, put up your hand. Father, right now, in Jesus, I see it. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I lift up my friends to you. Lord, I'm not trying to make light of what anybody's going through. Lord, we can laugh while we share. But Father, I've sat in the corner and I've cried just like others. And sometimes it seems so overwhelming while we're going through it. But Holy Spirit, will you sing to them like you've sung to me so often? whenever I've just felt like giving up? Would you sing them a song that will encourage them that you are on their side and that you are a faithful God and you are in control? If we will but yield to you, your will will be accomplished in our lives. I break the power of discouragement right now in Jesus' name. Father, I ask that the words that have been spoken today, Lord, that they would cause a stirring on the inside of each one that is going through a conflict right now, that feels that sense of wanting to give up. Lord, that that power that's been working against them would be overtaken by the power of God in them. And Father, even those same weapons that the enemy has tried to use against them, that they'll have the ability to take those weapons and turn it around and use it against their enemy. Father, I thank you that you are the healer of the hurting places, that you care about their woundedness, and you want to bring us out of those places. And I thank you for that today. Father, I thank you that you are overwhelming us with your presence in our lives. It's unmistakable. Those things that we sense and feel in. Those things that we hear that are encouragement from heaven. Thank you, Father, for your overwhelming goodness. And even when we can't see, Father, I thank you that you're like the fog lights in a storm. That you open up the pathway before us. And you begin to show us the next step. And the next step. And the next step. Father, for that one who's not going through that challenging time right now, but that you know will be facing it in the future. Father, will you cement this message in us that we'll look back and we'll say, wait, 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 wait. I know my purpose. I won't be distracted. I refuse to be distracted. I'm going to be committed because I know my purpose. And I will do like David. And I will encourage myself in the Lord. Father, I thank you for it right now. Give you praise for what you're doing. In Jesus'
0: name. Hallelujah. Let me appreciate that word this morning. We're going to... Uh, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. We're going to take a few moments this morning. We're going to... Uh, last night when we were... One of the things I appreciate about their ministry, we were talking about um, the needs of the ministry. And I love it when a ministry... Is about doing the work of the Lord and not about money and as they were talking about their needs they were just telling me a, of how they trust the Lord and they're a similar heart to mine they're not about the money they're about ministering to people and they believe the Lord will provide all of their needs so you don't hear that some ministry is the forefront of everything they do is money and so I'm just going to pray as we're, we're going to pray over this ministry can't we're going to Lay hands, and as a church, we're going to pray over this ministry. And uh, after we pray, just give a few moments. We're going to worship, and uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to pass the uh, uh, the offering plate around, the we collect with I don't know. basket. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and we're going to pass that around, and just be as generous as you're able. I believe the Holy Spirit—that's uh, His business. The Holy Spirit is the one that puts it on our heart to do it. It's not coercion. I may believe that. Something the Holy Spirit does. It's totally a work of the Holy Spirit. And I, I just pray that you would um, just ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do to, to help this ministry, to pour this ministry? We are truly partners with this ministry. So if you would, Brother keep come on up here. I'm going to anoint you. And uh, some of you would gather around him. Some of you could just raise your hands toward me here. We're going to pray a blessing over this ministry.